Hey there, uh, welcome to Sauce and Balance Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Dana, uh, head of growth at Sauce Group, the serial acquirer buying wonderful Sauce businesses to take them to the next level. And here I chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop of how they made their business success. And well, today with me is our own founder, Tim Schumacher, uh, founder of Sauce Group, investor in green tech, business angel. Liz goes on and on, so I'll just stop here. So welcome to the show again, Tim. Hey, good to be here again. Yeah, well, excited to to talk today a little more about you, maybe a little bit less about SARS Group, um, because you've you've had a fascinating story, uh, built a, a few very successful companies. Um, so for those who don't know, maybe in like, one minute. Who's Tim? Yeah, so I, I've been an entrepreneur. That's, I think, probably the the best word to describe me, kind of really from, from an early childhood where I loved like entrepreneurial endeavors um, uh, and selling stuff. Uh, and then I was a computer nerd for many, many years. I, I, I coded through my teenage years and built some wonderful software, some games and everything, um, but actually did go to business school. Um, and after finishing that, um, started a company called Cedo, a domain marketplace, which I'm sure some of you have bought domains at. Uh, it's the world's largest domain marketplace, ran that for 10 years. So I had the whole journey from three founders all the way up to um, a, a public company, a couple of hundred people, um, and uh, then left that and st started new companies. One is one is the, the company behind Adblock and Adblock Plus. Uh, another one is Ecosia, the green search engine, uh, and did a ton of angel investments. Um, and at some point I started dabbling with SaaS and SaaS products. And that's uh, when I started SaaS Group a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not coding anymore. Um, I'm still kind of like the, the, the coders, uh, for the coders, I'm always like the business guy, for, but for the business guys, I'm always like the nerd. So it's kind of, I'm kind of in between. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I love software and I, um, it's just uh, kind of what I've been doing um, all my life. Perfect. You minute is up. Uh, thank you, Tim. So, uh, yeah, living up to the expectations when I said, you know, a little more about you, a little less about SaaS Group. So SaaS Group is kind of uh, still the, the most prominent thing that you're doing now or one of them. Absolutely. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's so, my main thing. Yeah. <laughs> how was it boring? Like, I, I think we did an episode before, but I didn't really ask how the idea came up, came to you. Like why SaaS Group? Why why buying uh, businesses? Why not just going on with investment after your uh, successful exit? Yeah, so so I think a couple things came to play a few years ago when I started it. So one was I I did a bunch of angel investments and some were very very successful, but a lot of them. I mean, that's the nature of angel investments. You give someone money at an early stage, uh, usually an unproven founder, and uh, many many of them failed and many of them failed where I wish I could have been able to do something. But as an angel investor, you can't like you can do a little bit. You can you can be a good sparings partner to the founder. You can try to help him or her. But at the end of the day, the founders run the show. Um, and uh, so as an angel investor, I just had to watch from the side how things just go bust. And uh, and also valuations are sometimes crazy, like people come with a with, with some slides and it's like millions, the valuation. And at the same time, I, I saw those wonderful businesses people have built, like 
often independent developer who've built like some fantastic tool. That tool sometimes already makes millions in revenue, but there's really not an exit market. It's not a VC market. It's um, also, uh, it, it's not something most strategic buyers acquire. It's too small for the big private equity companies, but yet those are like wonderful businesses. And that combined actually with my learning from my prior business with, with Adblock, where I took a software, um, which was essentially a hobby project of one brilliant developer and developed that into a, a, a company of hundreds of people. Um, I kind of put those two things together and it's like, hey, let's let's serialize this. Let's let's take many of those wonderful products and see how with a proper approach of of, of product development, of marketing, of, of sales, um, we, we can take those companies to the next level. And I started with one and then kind of one came came to the next and now we have 17 brands and um, it's still kind of this this original model of, of taking one project at a time and, uh, and developing it. True. And I mean, don't get me wrong, but like with buying companies, uh, it's you're also placing bets, right? Of course, we do due diligences, right? And of course, we have a BI team that would analyze everything and tell us which uh, could potentially be the next, well, not unicorn, right? We're not building unicorns, but still, we're placing bets and it's, well, it, we're investing in companies, right? So how, um, first of all, is there really like a very big difference uh, apart from, you know, the fact that you actually can make decisions and can help the companies. Is there a big difference between, you know, the companies you've invested in um, before or invest in now and the companies that we buy at SaaS Group? Uh, in some cases, not. I mean, I have some companies where I invest which have the uh, a bootstrapper mindset and other companies uh, are classic VC companies where there's one round after the next round and with all the VC dynamics and then there's a huge difference. Um, and that, that's probably to me the, the most fundamental difference is that if, if you're down the VC route, then usually one growth route follows the next one and every VC wants to kind of swing for the fences. Because you have to always keep in mind that as a VC, you have a portfolio, you have, let's say, if you, if you have 10 companies to keep it simple and nine fail and one becomes a unicorn, you've done a really good job. But life still kind of sucks for the nine founders who've spent years of their life and it hasn't worked. And compare that to the bootstrapper mindset where you have 10 companies and all 10 succeed, but on a lower level, um, that's, that's a very fundamentally different mindset. You just, you're more frugal, you are more resource constrained, uh, but you're also more sustainable. You build things, you know, th think of the difference of um, of, of a fast-growing plant, um, which isn't as stable as an oak, which takes hundreds of years uh, to grow. Um, and to me, that's, that's the fundamental difference uh, between, uh, between these companies. Okay. And I mean, um, I've got this question a couple of times, right? We're always talking about bootstrappers and bootstrap companies and how we like to keep them that way. But then the question was, well, after we buy them, we kind of still invest in them. We give them that umbrella and the knowledge and, you know, the, the central team that helps them grow. So it's kind of cheating on our own vision of, of what we're building. But I think uh, 
how I see it, for example, it's uh, a bootstrapper mindset, right? Not really a bootstrapped setup that we're striving for. So it's like you said, it's a more frugal approach to the business. Is that um, what you mean when, when you're talking about bootstrapping? Yeah, it's true. It's a, it's a good uh, distinction because we're like the companies aren't technically bootstrapped anymore. They're part of a, of a, of a somewhat of a corporate even these days. Um, although every, every business itself is independent, the, the company with a couple hundred people, of course, has a certain size and certain processes and everything. Um, but I think the bootstrapper mindset, as you, as you said, that's, that's really what describes it super well, because that's this mindset is like, you know, don't just kind of hire a, a bunch of salespeople almost randomly, which happens, I think, a lot in VC companies, which we really, it's like growth at all costs. It's just the mindset of um, being being more frugal with resources. It's the mindset also of profitable growth. Um, many of you know the rule of 40 um, uh, of the combination of gross margin plus growth. Um, and there was a time when everybody was kind of discounting, especially like in 2020, 21, everybody was discounting the profitable part and the growth part is really kind of what, what everybody was worried about uh, and, and looking for. Uh, for us, it's really a balance. Like if, if a company, an ideal company for us is like 20, 30% growth and 20, 30% profitability margin. And that's kind of, that's, that's a, we would say a steady state, which you can, which you can keep for the foreseeable future. Um, which is what I mean with sustainable. It's sustainable growth. It's not just kind of trying, trying to blow something up kind of the we works and likes where VCs are just pouring huge sums and it's like growth at all costs. And that's, that's just a different mindset. Right. I just, I just saw this post on LinkedIn uh, and it was about earlier times. Uh, like, I don't know, it was 2015 or something, but uh, a VP of marketing, one of the companies in England, I think uh, he was describing a situation where uh, he was a VP of marketing back then already. And his investors basically told him, uh, if you are not going to spend a million dollars on ads and growth by the end of the week, you're fired. And I was like, wow, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's an extreme case, but those things happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So we're kind of against that. All right. So yeah. like I said, let, let's talk maybe a little bit more about like what you do, right? Because you've got this awesome story to share uh you're investing in many companies and is it different what are you what what does team schumacher look for in companies and in teams and in founders when he decides to invest or not yes yeah, so i think in that regard what i look for is very similar whether we do an acquisition with SaaS group or we're looking um with my angel investment or also i i I have a climate fund, um, which is one of my, um, which is one of my areas outside of software, uh, where I invest quite a bit. Um, but at the end of the day, um, I think it all boils down to people. Like I'm always looking, and probably most people would say that, but uh, I'm always looking for people who um, who have the heart at the right place, who have been building something, who ideally share that mindset. Because if someone has a crazy VC type mindset, the founder will not last long because there's no, there's no possibility, for example, for the follow, follow on round after you're part of SaaS group. Um, you have other advantages, but like it's not, it's, you're, not, you're not part of the VC hamster wheel anymore. 
which I would say most founders, like 90% of founders say is a good thing, but there are some people who are like, who love that. Um, and for them, SaaS group is not the right place. Um, but generally we, we look for, uh, like, or I look for people who are, of course, intelligent, uh, who, who, uh, who are able to listen to the customers and, and, uh, and, and able to build products that customers really need um, and do all of this in this bootstrapper mindset in a, in a, in a frugal, sustainable way. That's, uh, that's generally what I'm looking for. And then everything else is kind of is a resulting factor of this. Like, of course, we look at traction. We look at all the metrics um, uh, which are relevant in SaaS from New MR over churn over everything, like we, we analyze all those metrics uh, very diligently, but all of that kind of are usually a resulting thing from, from the quality of the founders and the founding team. Okay, so we are investing or buying companies early enough so that, you know, founder is still a very prominent reason to buy or not to buy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have at SaaS Group, we have both cases. We have founders who are staying, which is great. Um, we love to work with founders, but we have equally many cases where the founders have built something for many, many years and they're they're often tired. It's like, hey, I've built something for 10 years and I, I know that feeling. Like after I've built the domain marketplace, uh, Cedo for 10 years, I was like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've had my fair share of domain names. Um, I want to see something else. And that's a... That's a normal feeling. And, and some people get that a lot earlier. If, if you're like an early builder, uh, you love building uh, MVPs and the early excitement of a startup. You Like some founders get bored after three, four years, and that's okay. That's a, a very different quality um, than the quality of scaling a company, which is our quality. Um, and then they come to us and sell it. Or some founders even burn out. Some, some founders have a hard time actually hiring people. They, they view... Hiring as something which is where they're losing control. Always you lose control. If you hire someone, you need to trust another person. And that's that's hard for some people. And and then you're the right person for a one-person startup, but you're not the right person to scale because you've got to hire at some point. And um, I mean, we have pretty good processes for that. Uh, and I think we hire great people, but that's a, that's a skill you need to develop. And, and so those founders... If, if they are stuck as a one-person company, but they have tons of customers, we've met founders who, who are the only customer support person, although they're actually developers, and that's, that can be a daunting task. You, you're, you're basically, you have no vacation ever, um, and uh, that doesn't last long. That's true, right. So uh, about your companies, and I mean, you, you've grown them substantially you had your exit and well mostly i guess uh, when founders start building their company and start scaling it they are looking at an exit potentially somewhere down the road so and um you know in order to sell the company for a life-changing amount of money you have to show that growth so for you what were the kind of the biggest growth levers that you used in order to reach that exit with both companies? I, I think at the end, the biggest lever is, is first of all, just building a product people really want and need. Um, so yeah, building sometimes, sometimes in, uh, I'm saying is like you, you build a, uh, you build a painkiller, not a vitamin. Uh, there are a lot of 
products out there which are kind of nice to have, um, but ideally you build something which really solves a fundamental problem. So I think that's number one, and that involves, of course, listening to the customers, making sure you translate those customer requests into into the right products, um, also ignoring the right customer requests. I think building a product is as much about ignoring um, requests than it is about doing certain things, so really kind of focusing on what the right things are which, which you want to develop and, and, and then do those properly, um, but also communicate them properly, which is kind of marketing, sales, uh, customer service, uh, so that people actually understand. So I think that's, that's at the end of the day, the, the, the biggest growth lever and all of that with the right team. So again, kind of hiring the right people, always people who are better than yourself in certain disciplines. That's the fundamental job of every, every entrepreneur. Um, and that's whether, you know, you're a a one, two person bootstrapper, um, uh, or you're a 10 people company, or you're a hundred, that's, those two things are always, they, they never change. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So my next question would be about, uh, you know, kind of like the, the, the trend right now uh, on the market, uh, what you see, uh, because 2023, I mean, everyone was kind of afraid to move, right? Um, Everyone was talking about retention. There was a ton of churn because budgets were cut. And uh, with the investors as well, the situation was was not very good. Uh, they, no one was really brave enough to invest in right. anything new. Uh, but, you know, it's only two months into 2024. Uh, and I've already had a couple of very interesting conversations with uh, people in SaaS who would say, oh, well, Actually, what we see now working with a ton of SaaS companies uh, is that it's turning, right? And it seems like uh, the situation is being reversed a little bit and VCs are ready to spend more money. Um, so what do you think? Uh, is 2024 going to be easier? This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com course, rewardful.com course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Yeah, great question. You, you probably talk to more people uh, in the space uh, than than I do because most of the founders they're not in in uh, in the investment space. The founders we talk to, they're they're they we talk about kind of operating. We talk about product and team and everything. So they're not um, in 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 the game of raising money. So I I trust you with your judgment. It's hard to say. I mean, definitely you're right. Like 23 was was not good, especially kind of in December. I think I looking at the paddle report, for example, it was the first time ever a month was negative across all the SaaS products. And I think as a they, they have a pretty good overview, uh, given that they're do billing for SaaS products, they have a pretty good overview. And it's 
it's kind of what we saw as well, um, a, a little dip that, that at the end of the year, it's kind of this cleanup phase, like you're going to the budget for the next year, you're doing a, um, a, a post new year cleanup. Uh, so you're canceling all the products you don't need. And, uh, and then of course, new year means new budget. So new optimism. So it's probably right. Um, if the year overall will be better, well, I guess it depends a lot on, on, on some geopolitical things, which kind of shouldn't play a role, but they do. I mean, people are psychological animals, so the, uh, the economy is dependent on that. Um, I, I hope it'll be an improvement. It's, it's really hard to judge. You know, some bad thing can always happen. Some, yeah, geopolitical tension or something, which then has an effect on certain things. Um, it's really hard to judge. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm also cautiously optimistic, just like you. Okay. All right. That's good. Let's, let's stay there. <laughs> um, all right. So I also wanted to, to ask you about, you know, the whole bootstrapper mindset and how, how to operate there. Right. And obviously, you know, we're very, um, serious about being frugal and about cautious spending, but what do you think is something that founders and companies and teams should never really um, be frugal about they should always have the budget to spend hmm that's a that's a great question so i mean i think definitely customer service so in a way that customers should always get a timely response a good response that that's always a must and that's not saying that you shouldn't try to automate that away like uh for example, I'm a big fan of also product people, developers, executives spending some time in customer service because then you suddenly you're like, okay, this this question, for example, it comes up all the time. We need to change the product because a, 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 if the customer has to ask a question, it's one question too much. The product should ideally do it itself. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't optimize those away, but the fact if someone reaches out to you that you know deserves an immediate answer. Um, also, stats show that sales convert much faster if you're the first one to answer. So if a customer sends a request to three companies, very often the first one to answer gets, gets the, uh, the order. Um, so that is something I think people should never uh, sa save money on. Um, but then, of course, yeah, if you have a customer service heavy product, then you might be in the wrong market. So you need to do something about it. But in the short run, um, definitely provide the best service you can. Okay. All right. And just to follow up to that, what do you see founders and teams spent extensively on, which you think is a luxury and maybe should be avoided? Well, that's a, that's a long list, um, <laughs> especially in VC funded companies, you know, people like spend money everywhere. It's like you, you know, they build hierarchies uh, with a lot of people who are non-productive, who just kind of transport information from one side of the, the company to the, the other one, uh, opposed to, I don't know, developers, customer service people, uh, salespeople who actually get stuff done. Um, and so I think uh, that that's probably the biggest cost block is, is unproductive people. Um, and and that sounds harsh, but um, uh, that, that's what happens when a company gets, gets bloated. Uh, we see a lot of also bloated SaaS companies where VCs have invested money, they want growth, the company, I like crazy example, we had one company we acquired that at its height had 100 people doing 3 million AR, 
now the company, now that we've bought it actually out of insolvency, so they went bankrupt for a reason, uh, now uh, there are 12 people running it. Same ARR and a very productive, very focused team still shipping. And that's an extreme case, but we, we find those things uh, all the time. And then those companies, I mean, let's take that. I'm, I'm not going to name it, but the, the people within SaaS Group who are part of that, they, they know who it, which one it is. But like if we when we acquired that company, we saw all the bloat. Like we we got boxes of merch, for example. That's one of my favorite. Like pens, laptops with their logo, T-shirts, everything. Um, it was it was actually part of the insolvency proceeding that we acquired all the assets of the company. So there was like a room full of merch which was shipped to us, and we're like, oh shit, what should we do with this? But that shows they they must have spent tens of thousands of that. Um, those sorts of things, um, uh, or everybody had their own cell phone, a company's cell phone, which is also kind of ridiculous. Like we all have cell phones. I'm a big fan of like bring your own device, and yeah, you like for that one call you might get once in a while on your on your phone. Like the company doesn't need to provide you with a cell phone. It's like we all have one. It's actually a nuisance if you have two. So the list could go on and on and on. Lavish events cars we've we've seen it all on stuff you can spend money uh let me say one last thing aws uh, is is one big thing uh there's we see a lot of companies which we analyze which are just spending money for hosting it's like an afterthought it's like hey we need to build on aws the craziest case was once we acquired a company that's that that was making two million in in annual recurring revenue and um they spend a whopping 1 million, so half of their money on an AWS bill. And we just basically, we, 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 took, uh, we took the system, moved it to a, a bare metal system, so our own servers, um, and uh, reduced the cost to 100,000, plus of course a sysadmin, so 200,000 fully loaded costs, but basically it was an 80% cost reduction. We, pu we published an article on that, I think you find it on the SAS Group website, because it was such an interesting case, because everybody thinks like AWS is a must. No, it's not. Like there are a lot of tasks where AWS is grossly overpriced and it's just the wrong thing. And there's a reason why AWS is the, the key profit bringer for Amazon. It's because it's like just too expensive. Um, and so, yeah, that, that list, that list I, I, I could fill the whole podcast with that. <laughs> the, next, the next season. <laughs> the next season is like, oh, yeah. Wasteful spending for SaaS uh, entrepreneurs, how to cut it. That'd be a good <laughs> session. We should get uh, Toby in there, our CTO, and, and look at those things from different perspectives. But that'd be a fun session as well. Very, very practical for SaaS. Okay, marketers. that's a good idea. Yeah. I'll, yeah. yeah, I'll write it down. <laughs> um, okay, so um, by the way, are we moving all of our companies out of AWS at some point? No, 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 we're that's not. That's we, we are, no, no, absolutely not. I mean, there are a lot of cases where hosting is an afterthought. Like a lot of companies, they're like, I don't know, a million AR, and then it's a, a $2,000 AWS bill. Um, that's okay. It's like, you know, the developer costs are more expensive. So we're leaving a lot. Sometimes even leaving them, you can, you can cut the costs a little bit by just different quotas and, and, and pre-buying and stuff. So there are little tweaks, but that's more like 20, 30% saving, not, a, not like 80 or something. No, no, but... Actually, companies, and, and good that you're asking that, companies are free to choose their hosting and also their other providers um, at SaaS Group because they're, they're working independently, but we try to, of course, guide them and 
prevent some costly mistakes. But overall, yeah, a lot of our companies are at AWS and other cloud hosting providers. Right. Okay. So uh, let's just stay on the bootstrapping a little bit because, again, 2023, super turbulent. A lot of companies went into more of a startup mode, uh, more scrappy, more frugal. So do you know of any example, can you share any example of like the most brilliant scrappy technique or strategy that you've seen over the year uh, that you really loved uh, that a company adopted? Could be South Group, could be, you know, any other. The most in, in marketing, sales, product development or any? Any. Just, just kind of like a growth hack. Yeah, or something exactly. or a, so it's hard to say. there's usually I think there's not this one growth hack. I wish there were, but then it's usually quickly adopted. I, I but I would say if there's one channel which in my experience is underutilized is it, it's different. It's different platforms. And, and so what I mean with that is if, if you have a product of whatever sort, then think of other platforms like the Chrome store, the Atlassian store, now the ChatGPT store. Um, think of other, other or the Shopify store, what, what, whatever, WordPress store. List goes on and on and on, but try to connect into other ecosystems and those platforms which drive their own customers. Um, that is, is, a, a very underutilized strategy and some founders do that really well. Um, and uh, then actually um, those platforms can drive a big chunk of, uh, of revenue. Take, take one example of our portfolio, for example, where this applies is, um, is Juicer. It's a social media aggregator. Um, and they were very early in developing a WordPress, WordPress plugin. Um, and that one is actually drives a lot of traffic and uh, also a lot of customers to the site. And so kind of thinking is like, where, where are my customers? And then plugging into those marketplaces and those stores, I think is a, is a strategy, uh, which every founder should, should consciously look at, um, for growth. It's, it's also very inexpensive, like you, you need to build this once maybe, but you can usually do that with a freelancer, but just some hook into, into that marketplace. That's a, that's a good strategy. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. It makes sense. All right. So uh, a couple more questions about SaaS Group. Let's, let's continue since we already uh, went in that direction. Uh, so a lot of companies and, and founders, you know, advisors say you have to start building your relationships with potential acquirers uh, or investors early. Uh, you have to maybe send them your metrics or, you know, at least be polite answering their <laughs> emails, you know, uh, when, when they're approaching you for the 16th time. Uh, but what would be your advice on like building those relationships and really going into like a long term, because potentially this could be the people you will end up working with. Yeah, agree. Um, so I think, um, generally, I mean, I have the same, we, we get an investor request for, for SAS group all the time. And I, I would advise every founder to have just a standard email. You don't need to draft that every time, but if you know if founders are annoyed by this, you draft a standard email, which is polite, but points people either it says like, hey, we're not ready, but please come back in 25 or 26 if you already have some, some, something in your mind when you're going to consider that. 
or you can also um, have a, 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 a PDF or something, a one pager, or even just three bullet points. It's like, hey, those are the numbers I can share. Um, please uh, uh, come back in two years so that you know you also weed out um, uh, the companies for which this is not relevant. Uh, so, for example, a lot of these, a lot of um, founders probably get requests from VCs. If they're growing 10, 20% or something, most VCs will not look at them again. So why have people bother you all the time if they would stop bothering you after you've told them that you only grow 20%? On the other side, for SaaS Group, 20% is great. It's like it's a very sustainable long-term growth. Uh, we'd be more than happy to talk to you. So sometimes providing a little bit of information um, just kind of like maybe the size you're at and, and, and your growth um, and maybe a link to somewhere on the page um, that does the job. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of just having a few standard emails. Um, and I, I have the same. I get like, or for example, I get a lot of job requests. Like people is like pinging me. It's like, hey, I saw you do SaaS Group. I have this, um, I, I want to work with you. And I, I mean, on the one side is like, it's nice because those people made the effort to write me. On the other side, I can't respond to all of them. But what I have is I basically I have a standard email. It's I actually put it in my Gmail just in, as a signature because that's the simplest way to to approach uh, to, to to approach a, um, a snippet. Um, and then just say, hey, thank you for that. I just can't respond individually, but here are all, here are all our um, job offers we currently have at SaaS Group. Please go through that link. That does the job. And it's to me, it's it's it has something also about respect because if someone writes me. They deserve an answer, and that costs me like then ten seconds, and it's done. And most likely, they will go to the career page and they either find something or not. But I, I would actually advise founders just for relationship building to 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 do something similar uh, for, for everything, because most things can be classified in some sort of thing, um, and and potential acquirers just as much as uh, a lot of other requests you get every day. Right. And fun fact about Tim, it takes him about 10 seconds to respond. <laughs> Don't test it. <laughs> Don't test it. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, just a couple more questions. Um, what's next on the roadmap for SaaS Group? I mean, we all know that we're growing uh, and we want to buy uh, more companies. And there is this new thing that we're uh, talking about and please elaborate if you can, uh, which is called paved road. So yeah, what's next? Like where, uh, where are we going in 2024? Yeah. So we, we aim to, um, acquire about 10 more companies this year. Um, we've been increasing the pace. Um, we've been keeping the size constant. I think that's, that's important. SAS group is growing. Uh, we're over 50 million in AR now. Um, and of course, that means if we want to grow further, we need to either acquire bigger companies or acquire more companies. We don't want to acquire bigger companies because we believe in the smallest, beautiful uh, segment, uh, and and we that's that's the founders we like and uh, the, and we like to acquire. So we need to do more. But we have a, a world class M and A team which uh, can can do this. And uh, so so this year we're we're aiming for for roughly ten. Um, 10 acquisitions and then as always in the in the in the same segments which we've been playing at which is developer tools uh, marketing tools uh, productivity tools been doing some HR and infrastructure tools as well and trying to add more to, to our portfolio and then 
it is it is very much following our playbook that we look at okay what are inefficiencies in the company how can you cut some costs how can we increase the revenues there uh, but also how can we um yeah help bring things to the next level and then um yeah you just mentioned the the term paved road and that's um we're using this uh, as as a metaphor to show founders there's a paved road and there's an an unexplored adventurous road which is unpaved and that it's really important for a lot of stuff to stay on the paved road like you know things like where you it's about i don't know taking which, which customer service tool you use we we have a a a, a couple of kind of pre-selected software where we know they're kind of best in class and we like to get those standard processes yeah like uh, UX discovery, uh, uh, customer service tools, online marketing tools to get those on the paved road. Um, and then everything else, the, the founders should dabble and experiment and be kind of cutting edge, but you make your life a lot easier when you do all the stuff where you're not, where you're not reinventing the wheel all the time. And also then central services can help you on that. And that's kind of just, it's just kind of our operating playbook um, where we feel it's uh, it's a it's the best balance between total efficiency and still being adventurous and and having fun uh, with all the things that really matter. You, and that's usually the product which you sell. And there you want to be kind of the best in the world, but not with things like hey, picking your own customer service tool. That's like customer service has done that for you, and they can offer twenty four seven. Customer service on a first level, then across SaaS group, um, and that's how you benefit from the group benefits while staying independent. And it's just, just kind of the way we operate. Yeah, fascinating. All right. Well, uh, just one kind of last question: What is a one thing, one criterion that's never changing when? you're looking at a company to acquire for SaaS Group and what would be your hack if there is any uh, or just best advice uh, for the founders that are looking for an exit and uh, have SaaS Group on their list as a potential acquirer? Yeah, well, the one thing that never changed, I think, is is the people like it's like we need to we need there should be a connection. So I think the founders should just like when you hire someone or when you know you you allow an investor in the same should p- apply for an exit you, my my main advice should be you, wor- you want to work with people where a ha- like you, you you would even work with them if there would be no contract just on a handshake basis and you have the feeling that that's the right home for your business which you've built it's it's kind of your baby as a founder it's like your baby you've built this for many many years and it's a uh, it's it's quite, and I can tell that from my own experience. It's it's quite a change in your life if you basically have to hand over your business to someone else, or you sell it, even if you stay on board, which which I did as well with with Cedo in the early times. And so you wanna you wanna work with people you want to work with, and uh, we might not be right for everyone. I think there are some people who say no, like those SaaS group people. They're weird. They're all over the world, and it's like where are they? Uh, and and you know you want to be in an office and wear ties and something, and then it's like. No, we're not the right ones for you. Um, I'm sure there's some private equity folks who are much better, but you should have you you should listen to your gut and to um, kind of interact with a few people, not just with one, but really kind of do your own research 
also on your acquirer equally as everything else because your acquirer means okay how are your own people treated how is your product treated what's the culture like um and you 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 don't want it to be messed up because then yeah sure you 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 got maybe uh you, you have the money maybe you get a little bit more money from someone else but but at the end of the day your brand is killed your your people are unhappy they all come back to you it's like why did you sell us that's that doesn't make you happy um so my main advice would be yeah, look at the people uh, who want to acquire you just as much as you would look at a hire or a, a co-founder or a vc Right. I was just talking yesterday with with the founder on a podcast, and they're going through uh, through an exit. And um, when when she was talking about an exit, she her her advice was to find an exit where a founder, uh, sorry, where an acquirer is a partner that is yeah. ready to take your product to the next level. And I was like, wait. But that's us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's us. Though, though everybody claims that. I think that's the that's the thing. Most people would say they want to develop that, but the, the chemistry has to be right. That's true. That's true. And now I remember uh, our interview when you were <laughs> when you were hiring me. Um, that was fun. Okay. Um, well, thank you so much, uh, Tim, for for this conversation. It's always fun talking with you. Uh, I mean, I, I know it all, right? But uh, but it's always yeah. kind of nice to to hear your perspective and uh, you know the ideas that you have behind it. So thanks so much for sharing this story. Thank you. And yeah, as always, happy to do it anytime again. <laughs> thanks, Tim, and thank take care. You. That was yet another awesome conversation on SaaS Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders. And if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS, but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS group a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.